0: Francis for leading our church in prayer and uh, truly our hearts are with uh, Misty and Mike this morning and let's uh, continue to pray for them and to encourage them that the Lord would uh, comfort and strengthen them during this time and let us continue to pray for Bob and Sophie as they uh, minister to the Denny family and we trust that that would be a fruitful time of uh, ministry and great encouragement to Marcus and Amy. We're going to continue our study this morning of the book of Ephesians, and so if you have your Bibles, please open to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and we are going to be diving right into the great truths that are found in this great epistle, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, and we're going to read all the way down to verse 14. And believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's one long run on sentence in the Greek. The English translators have placed periods there to make the thought more understandable. But if you want to get a sense as to the breathlessness in which Paul is writing this passage, try taking a deep breath and then reading the entire passage without interruption because that is the tone of this great passage. Paul opens his mouth to bless and to praise God and a torrent of words come gushing forth He takes us from eternity past to eternity future, from our lives here on earth to the heavenly places in Christ, and he blesses his God for the greatness of the grace that has been given to us in Christ. This passage is a doxology, one of the longest doxologies in the New Testament, and it is a passage which simply gives praise to God. Paul praises God for the salvation that has been given to sinners through Christ. And he unfolds to us the riches of the wonders of God's grace. Paul writes this passage not only to himself give praise to God, but so that the church at Ephesus would also be equipped in their hearts to praise God. He unloads for us and unfolds for us the specific expressions of God's grace to us in Christ the blessings of election, the blessings of predestination, the blessings of adoption, redemption, forgiveness, our inheritance in Christ, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, he unfolds for us the specific expressions of the grace of God in our salvation so that we as the church will be equipped in our hearts to praise God and to bless God for the great things that he has done. Paul begins his letter by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is where we want to begin our study of Ephesians. We begin with praise. We begin with worship. We begin with adoration. We begin with doxology. We begin by blessing our God for what he has done. Before we get to the imperatives, before we get to practical Christian living, before we get to walking wisely or making wise decisions or serving in the church or marriage or family or parenting or life in the workplace or prayer or any of the practical topics of the Christian life, we begin where Paul begins, and that is with worship. That is with adoration. Until our hearts are moved by the grace of God to stand in awe and wonder at the great things that God has done, we cannot even begin to address any other topic in the Christian life. This is where Paul begins the book of Ephesians, and this is where we must begin as well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This passage is a passage about the grace of God. It is about the unmerited favor of God being given to guilty sinners. In order to understand fully the truths of this passage, we must begin with the fact that we do not deserve God's blessings, that we are sinners condemned before the law of God, that we deserve God's condemnation and his wrath because of the sins that we have deserved. We do not deserve blessing. No, we deserve cursing. Cursed is the man who forsakes the law of the Lord. We deserve the condemnation of God. We deserve eternal hell because of our sins. And yet what an incredible truth to read the opening words of verse 3. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Instead of cursing, we have received his blessing. Instead of condemnation, we have received his favor. Instead of his wrath, we have received his love. And so is it not appropriate for us as a church to begin by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a passage about worship. This is a passage about praise. And Paul is joining with all the saints of all redemptive history in causing his heart to praise his God. Psalm 41 verse 13, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. From everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Psalm 63, 4, I will bless you as long as I live. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Psalm 66, verse 20, blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Psalm 72, verse 18, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. And this theme of praising God continues in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul opens his letter with this great doxology. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. The Apostle Peter begins 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 in saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And these great expressions of praise are found throughout all of the New Testament. Romans eleven verse thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments! How unscrutable His ways! For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And in First Timothy chapter one verse seventeen. Paul says to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. The book of Jude closes with this great doxology, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. As Paul opens his mouth to bless his God, he is joining with the song of all the ages. He's joining with the saints of all the ages of redemptive history who have beheld their God and who have praised God for who he is and what he has done. We see in the book of Revelation, this is the theme of heaven. Revelation 5 verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And so as Paul opens this letter with a great doxology, we do not find anything new in the Scripture. We find something that is repeated throughout all the scriptures and that is that our God is awesome and our God is great and our God is worthy of his praise. And particularly in this text we see that our God is worthy of praise because of the grace he has unfolded for us in the person and work of his son Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Blessed be God. Paul says, blessed be God. And this is not Paul's normal custom in opening his letters. You'll notice that in the rest of his epistles, Paul normally begins his letters by thanking God for the church and their faith in Christ remember in the book of Philippians, Paul began that letter by saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always making prayer for you. And yet, this doxology fits with the theme of Ephesians. Last week, I told you that the theme of Ephesians is the riches of God's grace toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing this letter to unfold for us the glory of our inheritance of what we have received in Christ. And so how appropriate it is for Paul to begin with doxology. As if his heart cannot wait to unload for us the glory of what he has seen and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so he begins with these words, Blessed be God. Blessed be God. I want to remind you that this epistle has been written from prison. Ephesians is one of what we call the prison epistles of Paul. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon were all written from Paul's first Roman imprisonment. Paul is writing from a dark and a difficult circumstance. He is awaiting future trial and future sentencing, possible death. Yet in the book of Philippians, we find a man filled with joy. And in the book of Philipp- Ephesians, we find a man filled with praise. He is not defeated. And he is not discouraged. He is praising his God in the midst of his affliction. And so he begins by saying, Blessed be God. I would remind you that what the Scriptures call us to is not only a heart of praise in the midst of the best of times, but is a heart of praise in the midst of the worst of times as well. When you and I taste of the grace of God in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, When we taste of all that God has done in sending his son to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, our hearts can be equipped to praise God even in the darkest seasons of life. Even from a Roman prison with an uncertain future, Paul could open his lips and praise spills forth. John Calvin has written this, Whatever happens to us, let us always assure ourselves that we have good cause to praise our God. Even if we are poor and miserable in this world, the happiness of heaven is enough to appease us. It is enough to sweeten all our afflictions and sorrows and to give us such contentment that we may nevertheless have our mouths open to bless God for showing himself so kind-hearted toward us. You may have heard the story of Horatio Spafford. He was a lawyer and a businessman, a very busy man. And after a very busy and difficult season, he planned a European vacation for his wife and four daughters. He sent his family ahead from Chicago because at the last minute he was held up by business responsibility and he promised to meet them on the other side in Europe. But the true story goes that the ship never made it 226 people died in shipwreck, including all four of Spafford's daughters. His wife, Anna, sent him a telegram with only two words, Saved Alone. And it was later, as Spafford sailed over the very same spot his daughters were drowned, he penned the following words of worship and praise that had been sung by the church for years afterwards. He said, When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, Let this blessed assurance control That Christ has regarded my helpless estate And has shed his own blood for my soul. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. That is the confession of every believer in Christ. That is our confession in good times and in bad. Our confession is is the words of Job 121. Naked I came from the mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our confession is Psalm 34 verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And what specifically moved Paul to bless his God, what specifically strengthened him to bless him in the most difficult of circumstances, was an understanding of the grace of God. It was as Paul understood the grace of God as unfolded in God's revelation, as specifically expressed in the sending of God's Son, Jesus Christ, that his heart was moved to adore and to bless his God. Well, brothers and sisters, I... I struggle with lukewarmness just as much as you do. I struggle with a cold heart. There are times when my heart is not moved to praise God. And what God is calling us in this text is to come drink deeply of the grace of God, to behold wondrous things in the word of God, to understand the theology of what God has unfolded to us through the work of his son, Jesus, so that in understanding the grace of God that our hearts be warmed to wonder, love, and praise. It is as we understand the theology of the grace of God in Christ that our hearts will be stirred to worship and to praise. In other words, brothers and sisters, the deeper we go into the grace of God, the higher we will go in worship and in praise. And going deep into the grace of God will yield the fruit of praise in the Christian's life that will endure through good times and bad, through hard times and seasons of joy. Paul begins by saying, Blessed be God. Blessed be God. Is that the confession of your heart this morning? Blessed be God. Is that the fruit of your lips this morning? Blessed be God. Is that, is that the, the heart your heart this morning? You can't wait to come and just express that heart in songs of praise because you understand what God has done for you through the work of Jesus Christ. If not, brothers and sisters, then this passage is for you and this passage is for me. Because what Paul wants to do is to equip us as the church so that we would live lives of worship to God. You'll note here in verse 3, Paul not only says, Blessed be God, but he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is very specific in his praise. Paul is going to mention the work of the Father in this doxology. He's going to mention the work of the Son, and he's going to mention the work of the Spirit. In other words, Paul's expression of praise in this passage is Trinitarian in nature. And by the providence of God, Jason taught this morning on the doctrine of the Trinity in equipping class, so I don't need to repeat everything that he has taught. But I would just say this, that the expression of Paul's worship in this passage is specifically addressed to Father, Son, and Spirit. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. Yet there are not three gods. There is one God. God is a triunity. He is a trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what we see in this passage is that Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each have a unique role, a unique function in the plan of redemption. Think about it, brothers and sisters. It was not the Father who came and died for our sins. It was not the Father who shed his blood on the cross to redeem us from our iniquity. No, brothers and sisters, that was, it was the Son, Jesus Christ, who came and incarnate in human flesh and who walked the road to the cross And died at Calvary. It was not the Spirit who was the Lamb of God to take away our sins. It was the Son. And in a similar way, it was not the Son who applied the message of redemption to our hearts so that we would believe in Christ. No, that was the work of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3 says, We have been watched by the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who takes the message of the gospel and applies it to our hearts, causing regeneration and new birth to take place. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each have a unique role and function in the plan of redemption. If I were to sum up their function in a, in in the following way, I would say it was that it is the Father who is prominent in planning salvation. It is the Son who is prominent in accomplishing salvation. And it is the Spirit who is prominent in applying salvation. It is the Father, in verse 3, who elects us, chooses us before the foundation of the world. It is the Father, verse 5, who predestines us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. It is the Father, verse 6, who blesses us with his glorious grace. It is the Father, verse 8, who lavishes the riches of his grace upon us. It is the Father who makes known to us, verse 9, the mystery of his will with all wisdom and insight. It is the Father verse 10 who makes the plan in eternity past to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things in earth. It is the Father who verse 11 predestines us according to the purpose who, according to his purpose and who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It is the Father who is prominent in planning salvation and it is the Son who is prominent in accomplishing salvation. Jesus said, I came to accomplish my Father's will. It was the Father who planned uh, the scope of redemption to be unfolded through human history and is the Son who came from heaven to earth in order to submit Himself to the Father's plan and to accomplish the purpose of His Father in eternity past. All of the blessings that are given to us are given to us in Christ, in the Son. It is in Christ that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It is in Christ that God has lavished his grace upon us. And then it is, it is the work of the Father to plan redemption. It is the work of the Son to accomplish salvation. And then it is the work of the Spirit to apply redemption's message to our hearts, to open our blind eyes that when we receive the gospel message, our hearts would respond with faith and with trust. And so in this glorious doxology, Paul is going gonna to proclaim to us the work of the Father, the work of the Son. In verse 13, he's going to proclaim to us the work of the Holy Spirit, that when we heard a word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This doxology is Trinitarian in nature. Our worship is, we are called to have our worship be Trinitarian in nature. We are called not only to praise God in general, but to praise Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And to inform our worship of Father, Son, Holy Spirit with the knowledge of what they have specifically, each person has specifically done through redemptive history, that we would be saved to the praise of God's glory. We will note that this understanding of the Trinity forms a structure for this doxology. In verses 3 to 6, we find the work of the Father as the focus. In verses 7 to 12, we have the work of the Son. It is the Son who redeems. It is the Son who sheds His blood For the forgiveness of sins, in verse 13 and 14, we have the work of the Spirit. And so this doxology proclaims to us the blessings of the Father, the blessings of the Son, and the blessings of the Spirit. And that's going to form the structure of our study of this doxology. Next week, we're going to look at the resurrection of Christ. It's Easter Sunday, so we'll take a break from the book of Ephesians. And then in the three following Sundays, we're going to look at the blessings of the Father, the blessings of the Son, And then the blessings of the Holy Spirit as we look at what God has done in saving us by His grace. You'll notice that at the end of each section, there is that little phrase that all of this is to the praise of His glory. At the end of verse 6, it is to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 12, that we, the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. And in verse 14, he says that all of this is to the praise of his glory. God has designed and planned the scope of redemption so that his name would be praised for all of eternity as he unfolds for us the riches of his grace, that worship would be brought to his great name. And we will fulfill that role in eternity future. But Paul does not wait till he gets to heaven before he starts fulfilling the reason why he was saved. He says, Why wait till heaven? I'm going to start now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with our time remaining, I'd like for us to look at verse 3, the opening statement in Paul's great doxology. This is a verse that summarizes the theme of all 11 verses, and is a verse that many say summarizes the theme of the entire book of Ephesians. Verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The crux of the issue is simply this Paul blesses God because God has blessed us. Paul blesses God because of his understanding of how God has blessed us Paul is saying to the Christian Christian open your eyes we live in ignorance we live without knowledge we must be informed as to the specific expressions of God's grace in our lives that our hearts would be moved to worship and praise Paul blesses God because God has blessed us And this is nothing new in the New Testament. Back in Psalm 103, verse 2, David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Why? Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives your iniquity, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Contemplating God's blessings lead us to praise God. But how much more in the New Testament do we have to praise God for when we understand the fullness of God's revelation in Christ. Paul is going to unfold for us the riches of God's blessings, the vast eternal purpose of God, which was to select out of the mass of humanity who were ever to live in the history of time a chosen people to put His grace on display and to sovereignly place His blessings upon these people in an undeserved way through the work of His Son so that all of this would result in the praise of God's grace for all of eternity. There are three specific truths I want you to understand about our blessings. First of all, they are sovereign blessings. They are sovereign blessings. Paul says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us god has blessed us you will notice that throughout this doxology that god is the active agent in this text it is god who blesses us it is god who chooses us It is God who adopts us. God predestines us, redeems us, forgives us, lavishes us. God gives us an inheritance, reveals the mystery of his will. God is the active agent throughout this doxology. And nowhere in this doxology do we have any contribution of man Man's input or man's initiative or man's action. In fact, the only thing we have man doing is in verse 13. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. That's all we did. By faith, we received the message of the gospel. And that is the only thing that we see man doing in this passage. The rest is what God does. God blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and all we do is to receive those blessings by faith. The blessings that we're going to see in this text are sovereign blessings. They are the exercise of God's sovereign will, and what this does for us at the outset is that it unfolds to us a high view of God. Brothers and sisters, what we need in the church is a high view of God, a sovereign view of God, a, a view of God's Freedom to act and to do as he pleases. What we need in the church is an accurate view of man. We are always prone to have a high view of ourselves and a low view of God. And what we see in the outset is that, no, this passage unfolds for us an accurate view of man and a high view of God. The God is the sovereign agent in salvation. The God is the one who is sovereignly blessed us. Isaiah 46, verse 9. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. I will bring it to pass. I will do it. If there's anything in our hearts and our minds, That would lead us to think that we in any way have contributed to our salvation. May we repent of our high view of ourselves. May we repent of our pride. May we humble ourselves to have an accurate view of ourselves. That we may bless the greatness of our sovereign God. God is the one who has blessed us in Christ. And brothers and sisters, the only thing that you and I have contributed to our salvation is the sin that needs to be forgiven and atoned for. That is the only thing that we have to contribute to our salvation, is our wretchedness, is our condemnation, is our cursing, is the wrath that we deserved. The only thing we have to contribute to our salvation is our sin. And the only thing we do, as the gospel message is preached to us, is to believe is to believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth as a man and died on a cross as a substitute for our sins, who was the perfect spotless sacrifice to atone for all our iniquities and who rose triumphantly from the grave on the third day, defeating sin and death and hell and purchasing for us our salvation, all that we do, And our salvation is we receive by faith the message of the gospel. And as we receive by faith the message of the gospel, it is God who blesses, God who redeems, God who forgives, God who lavishes and reveals and who seals and who pardons. The blessings that we are going to see in this passage are sovereign blessings. They are sovereign blessings. Romans 9 verse 15, God says of his sovereign purpose, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He says in Romans 9, Jacob I love but Esau I hated. You ask the question, why does God say that he loved Jacob but why does he say Esau I hated? simply because He is a sovereign God and it is according to His sovereign purpose to do so. It is according to His sovereign purpose to elect some so that the riches of His grace would be put on display. Listen to the language of Ezekiel 36 verse 25 which unfolds for us the riches of the new covenant blessings. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and obey my rules. I will deliver you. I will summon the grain. I will make the fruit of the tree and increase of the field abundant. Salvation is something that God does. God is the active agent in our redemption. And what we see in the Old Testament is is God saying, I will do this. I will accomplish salvation. And what we see in the book of Ephesians is Paul saying, God has done this. God has accomplished the blessings that he has promised in Old Testament times. And he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Brothers and sisters, what have we done that our souls would be filled? What have we done that our sins would be forgiven? What have we done that we would be seated in the heavenly places in Christ? That we would receive an, an inheritance that is imperishable and will not fade away? What have we done to receive the ministry and the blessings of the Holy Spirit? What have we done to receive so great a salvation? We do not deserve God's blessing. We deserve God's cursing. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's anger. And yet the wonder of this grace is that this is what he has done. According to his sovereign purpose to glorify his own name, he has put his grace on display in the lives of the elect that they may give praise to him forever and ever. Ezekiel 36, verse 22, God said to Israel, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act. But for the sake of my holy name, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. And can't the same be said of us? It is not according to our goodness that God has acted. It is according to His sovereign purpose. It is according to His grace. And we have contributed nothing, nothing to the blessings that we have received in Christ except the filthy rags of our sin and the uncleanness that needs to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. God's blessings in our lives are a sovereign blessing. Secondly, I want you to see in this text that God's blessings in our lives are a spiritual blessing. They are A spiritual blessing. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In the Old Testament, the blessings of God were material in nature. In the Old Covenant, God said to Israel, if you obeyed, you would prosper, and if you disobeyed, you would be cursed. And we saw in the reign of Solomon how God blessed the nation of Israel in a material sense. Although most of the history of Israel was filled with God's cursing. The Old Covenant promised material blessing, but the New Covenant is superior to the Old Covenant in that the New Covenant focuses on spiritual blessings, not material ones. Not material ones that will fade, where moth and rust will come and destroy, and where thieves will break in and steal, but spiritual blessings that will last for eternity. And that can never be fade or be taken away from us. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The world has been on a frenzy this week about the mega millions, the million-dollar jackpot. And they say that after the lottery tickets were all sold, there were three winners and 100 million losers. And this jackpot has been a temptation to so many, the snare to all, to want to be rich in this life. And yet, as Christians, we look at a treasure like that and we consider those things as rubbish. What do they compare to the spiritual blessings that have been given to us in Christ? You know, you can have a $500 million and all it's going to do is fade away. One day, you will go in the ground, and you cannot take those riches with you. And moth and rust will come and destroy, and thieves will come in and steal. And you will get a jackpot like that, and you won't know who your friends are. Your life will be turned upside down. For most, their lives have been turned upside down for the worse. And yet, the spiritual blessings that God gives to us in Christ are unfading and imperishable and will last for eternity. They are spiritual in nature. They are spiritual not only in contrast to being material, they are spiritual because they are the work of the Holy Spirit. The work pneumatikos in the Greek oftentimes refers in the New Testament to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who has brought these blessings into our lives as he has caused us to believe in the gospel of Christ. And so we are blessed with spiritual blessings the blessings of election, the blessings of predestination, the blessings of adoption, redemption, forgiveness, inheritance, sealing, revelation, a glorious future in which we will be part of the administration of future times in which all things will be summed up in Jesus Christ. What do the material things of this age have in comparison to do with the spiritual blessing we received in Christ? You'll notice in verse 3, what Paul says in verse 3 is not only have we received spiritual blessings, but we have received every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Behold the wonder of that word. Every spiritual blessing in Christ has been given to us in Christ. The gospel message is that Jesus died for every single one of our sins. Every single work of iniquity every sin that we have ever or will commit were, was paid for at the cross with Jesus when he died. And in the glorious reversal of our justification, the glorious reversal of our salvation is that not only has Jesus taken every single one of our sins and died for them all, but he has taken every spiritual blessing that he has earned through his perfect life and he has given to all us all It's a gift of his grace. Great expositor Alexander McLaren said this about verse 3. Paul calls upon us to bless God for all spiritual blessings. That is to say there is no gap in his gift. It is rounded and complete. Whatever a man's need may require, whatever his hopes can dream, it is all here compacted and complete. The spiritual gifts are all sufficient. They are not segments but completed circles. God has not only blessed us with spiritual blessings, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In Christ. And we're going to look at specifically what those blessings are. The blessings we have received are a sovereign blessing. The blessing we have received is a spiritual blessing. And then thirdly and lastly, the blessings we've received is a secure blessing. It's a secure blessing. Verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And where are they? They are in the heavenly places. You say, Dan, where are the heavenly places? Literally, in the heavenlies, in the original Greek. Well, the heavenly places are where Jesus is. Jesus is in heaven. He ascended to the right hand of the Father after he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. Jesus is in heaven, and because we are in Christ, because we are in union with Christ, as Paul says in verse 3, there's a very real sense that we are where Jesus is. In chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says that we have been seated in the heavenly places in Christ. We as Christians have a dual citizenship. We live lives here on earth, but in a very real sense, we are with Christ and in Christ in the heavenly places. And I believe what Paul is saying when he says that our spiritual blessings are in the heavenly places in Christ, is he is referring to the security of these blessings that any earthly blessing that you will have in this life will, is subject to decay and is subject to loss. But the spiritual blessings that are in the heavenly places will never perish and that are safe for all eternity. The spiritual blessings we received in Christ will be ours for thousands of years to come because they are not blessings that are here on earth. They are blessings that are in the heavenly places. Now you and I enjoy these, heaven, these spiritual blessings while we're here on earth. We're going to enjoy these spiritual blessings as long as we live on earth. We're going to enjoy the blessing of election, the blessing of adoption, the blessing of redemption. All of these blessings we will have our hearts moved to, to give God thanks and to give God praise and they will strengthen us as we live our Christian lives. But in the end, these blessings are secure because... They are in the heavenly places, and we are in Christ. Listen, would you just note in verse 3 that the spiritual blessings are in Christ. They are in Christ. There are no blessings apart from Christ. There is no other name by which we are saved. You are either in Christ or you are not in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you are not in Christ, there are no blessings. There is only wrath. There is only condemnation. There is only God's judgment if you are not in Christ. And so this text would call us to see that the blessings of salvation are found in Christ. And if you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ, come receive the blessings of his salvation. Believe in his work on the cross. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Trust in the sufficiency of what he has accomplished. And by faith alone, you will be justified, forgiven, and receive his salvation. Paul begins this letter with a word, doxology of praise. And that is where we want to begin the book of Ephesians. You know, brothers and sisters, I know that you and I, we have... Lot of practical things going on in our lives. I know that you and I, we need practical teaching. We need to hear about how to make wise choices. We need to hear about how to serve in the body of Christ. We need to hear about husbands and wives and parents and children and work relationships in the workplace and all the affairs of everyday life. But, brothers and sisters, we cannot address those things until our hearts are where Paul's heart is in chapter 1, verse 3, until our hearts are speechless before the grace of God, until we are lost in wonder, love, and praise, until our hearts are informed with the truths of God's grace of what he has done for us in saving us to his eternal purpose. It is only then that we can, out of the flow of that life of worship, address all the practical ways in which that worship is expressed. And so, let us begin the book of Ephesians by you and I saying, blessed be God. Blessed be God. Blessed be God for he has blessed us. Blessed be God for he has not cursed us. Blessed be the Father for planning redemption. Blessed be the Son for accomplishing salvation. Blessed be the Spirit for applying salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? And let's close our time. Our Father, truly our hearts are overwhelmed by what your word tells us. of The great things that uh, you have done. And we confess once again that we have contributed nothing. We have given nothing. We deserve nothing nothing. It is all by your grace. Lord, I pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened to see the glory of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. I pray for every believer here. Would you open their eyes through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would stand amazed at your glorious grace. And Lord, help us this morning to praise you to bless you, to say in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in this morning that you are God and you are worthy of all our praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not any of his benefits. Lord, help us this morning to praise you and worship you that the spirit of worship would carry into this week and bring us joy and strength as we seek to live for your glory. We thank you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.